0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke ten seventeen through 24, and it reads, The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. All over the power of your enemy, n- nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice in the names that are written in heaven. Then, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was such was your gracious will. All that have been done, that all that has been handled over to me by the Father, and no one knows who." the son is it set the father, or who the father is it set the son, and anyone who the son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, and do not see it, and hear what you hear, and do not hear it.
1: If you have seen enough action movies, enough drama movies, then this scene is going to sound very familiar to you. It's a hostage scene. It's a scene where you have someone and you picture him in your mind today. Let's picture him as an angry man. He's not always this way, but at least in our scenario. He's angry and he, he's physically intimidating. He, he's strong. You know, picture someone who's six foot three, 220 pounds and pure muscle. And not only is he physically strong, he is also packed to the gills, as we may say. He has enough weaponry to take on an entire army himself or at least he thinks he does he's got body armor on you know he he is ready for a fight and he's taken hostages and just picture these hostages being men and women various ages and he's brought them into his home it's like he's using his own home as as his own fortress he knows others are aware but there's a problem here. You take hostages for a reason, right? You want to you mess with the enemy in some way. You want to get something from them in return. So he's, he's got them here and all the hostages are unarmed. Uh, they're, they're helpless in a situation like this. Unless an outside force intervenes in this situation, they don't have any hope of getting out of this. They're not going to be able to fight their way out. They don't have the, the ammo. They don't have the strength to take on this guy. And in the movie usually the ones who want to you know initiate a rescue mission of some type they know that they can't just go in and bring the hostages out of a situation like this unless they first are able to overcome this strong man unless they're able to disable him in some way. So maybe in the movie, maybe it's a whole team of specialized law enforcement that is coming in, a SWAT team or something like that. They've been trained to do this and they are together going to try to come up with a plan to try to take down this guy without hurting the hostages. Or maybe it's something a little more of a fantasy movie. Maybe it's a, a comic book movie. Maybe you've got one particular man who has enough strength to overcome the strong man. Either way, the strong man must be disabled before any of the hostages will have any hope. Now what I have given you today in this hero-villain situation that's common if you've watched enough movies, television series, whatever else, is something that I think is very close to a scenario that Jesus gives us. In Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, the next chapter beyond our scripture reading, when he says this, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Now you may say, well, there's a little bit of a difference there. Jesus seems to be talking about material goods that he's guarding, and in our scenario, we've got human hostages. Well, on the surface, yes, it appears that way. But if you read the entire context, which we will get to today in our lesson, if you hang in there, this is about human hostages. This is not just about material goods that have no consequences of people's lives. This is about human hostages. In fact, this is not just about men and women who are foreign to us. This is about you. This is about me. This is about us being overcome and in a helpless situation where regardless of how much we try to fight our our way out of it ourselves are not going to be able to overcome this strong man who has us held hostage we're slaves to him unless someone else intervenes unless someone else is more powerful than him unless someone else can disable this power that he holds over us Before we connect all our dots here, we've been doing a series of War Against the Darkness. And I hope that all along we've seen ourselves in these scenarios. So far, what we've really gotten into in these lessons, I know it's been a lengthy series so far, we've still got several more to go in this, and we're coming back to it every few weeks. If you haven't been here with us, you can go back and listen to these on our website if you want to catch up on this. But so far, where we have been is really trying to to show who the enemy is, trying to set up what the battleground is. What is the darkness? How did it get there? Who is this Satan in the scriptures? And and what are these, these demons that seem to be at his beck and call? What about human followers who intentionally align themselves with Satan? What about those who unintentionally align themselves with Satan? In fact, what about all of us who become slaves to sin, to death, the fear of death, some of the greatest tools that Satan will use against us? You see, spiritual warfare is not something that just a few of us get involved with if you, you get conscripted into the army and you know you, there's like a, a lottery conscription and well, just a few of us get chosen. Or, or just the most able are the ones who, who get chosen or, or just the ones who sign up are part of it. If you are a human being, you're involved with spiritual warfare whether you realize it or not. The series is about all of us. There is light versus darkness that is going on and it has been going on for a long time. Now what we've been doing, again, is setting up who our enemy is, what his tactics are. You know, Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, he said that, I'm paraphrasing what he said, you don't just know yourself, you've got to know your enemy. If you don't know both yourself and your enemy, you are not going to succeed in battle. You know your enemy's tactics. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's around verse 21, tells us that we as Christians are not unaware of the schemes of the devil. Some translations say the wiles of the devil. We know our enemy. We need to know him. That's why we've been talking about some of the tactics that he uses and people who try to manipulate that darkness. They think they can control it and in the end they get controlled by it. They end up becoming a part of it. This is real. We're all involved. The good news is at this point in our series... We're beginning to get into how God is fighting back. And how ultimately this is not a war that has to end in defeat. The good news is that Jesus, when he comes on the scene in his ministry, is taking on this enemy head on. Where we're going with this is ultimately how we're still involved with it. But first, we have to see this vital turning point in the ministry of Jesus. And that's why we are talking about today how Jesus' message of the kingdom of God being here is a turning point in spiritual warfare. It is when it is going to be declared that Satan will not win this war. Now to set this up today we're going to follow a sequence in the Gospel of Luke. Our scripture reading was from Luke 10. I just gave you a couple of verses from Luke 11. I want us to first back up to Luke chapter 9 because this sequence that we are going to see here is going to help us see how this message is building in the Gospel of Luke that we're supposed to see. In Luke chapter 9, the first episode I want you to see in this sequence of how Jesus is breaking in and and, Really turning the tide in this spiritual warfare. Luke 9, beginning verses 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now these twelve, they're called disciples at this point. They're eventually going to be known as the apostles, as a distinct group of his disciples. The word means the ones who were sent out. This is what we would call their limited commission. Later on they're going to get their great commission, go into all the world. Right now Jesus It's it's not that this is unimportant, but we may call it a tune-up exercise. This is a commission with a limited scope. It's still very real. Maybe tune-up exercise is not the best expression for this. It's still very real, but it's limited to the communities in in and around Israel. Its scope is, is the places around Galilee where their ministry is taking place at this point. But here's what they're going to do. He says that you're going to go into all of these villages, and he's got some more instructions for them if you read this chapter. Chapter and the other gospels that talk about this. But here ultimately is what he is giving them power and authority over the demons, power and authority over disease, and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, there is a direct association there between the message of the kingdom of God and this power and authority over the demons, who we've looked at in our past lessons. They are aligned with Satan. They are part of the darkness. They are part of the warfare. They are the enemy. And Jesus is choosing 12 of his disciples, whom he entrusts with a big mission here. He's saying, Guess what, guys? We're going into battle. I've been talking with you for a while. I'm I'm not going to set you up for failure here. I've already been training you. Your training's not complete yet. But this is an exercise where we are going into battle because we need to show this world that they do not have to feel that they are going to be on the losing side of this war. That's episode one. Go to Luke 10 and we see the next part of this sequence. Luke 10 begins by expanding this mission to bring in some more, not just of the 12, but here the text is going to say that the Lord is going to appoint 70 or 72 depending on your version of the Bible that you have with you today, 70 or 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every one, every town and place where he himself was about Now, I don't want to spend too much time here, but you may wonder, well, why is there a difference in some of the translations here? This is where some of the manuscripts of the New Testament, the copies that we have, uh, are split on the evidence of what we have. But it's the kind of split between if the number here was supposed to be 70, if the number is supposed to be 72. Ultimately, either way, the number goes back to, most likely goes back to Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Focus with me for a minute as we take you back here. We're not losing our main track of our story here. We're coming back to it. But Genesis chapters 10 and 11 is what we often call the table of nations. It's one of those sections of scripture where if you're reading through Genesis and you're reading all these exciting stories about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and the flood, and then you come to Genesis 10 and 11, it's a whole bunch of names that are given as the descendants of Noah's sons and all these nations in different places. And a lot of us just skip over that. Well, If you count those up, depending on different scholars and how they see this, you're either going to arrive at either 70 or 72 as the number that you come to of the different nations that are mentioned there. Now, why is that related to this? Let's also remember that when we studied in the past of this series, if you've been with us, Deuteronomy 32 says something about those nations. It says that God, part of his reason for the sons of God, the angels that, that he had, was to delegate responsibility to them all over these nations, the same nations that are mentioned there in Genesis 10-11. He said, I'm going to take Israel for my own. He's going to have direct oversight over Israel. But he had delegated authority to these different nations. You also are going to find later in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I believe it's verse 17, that these the peoples of these nations largely were not going to follow God. They were ultimately going to sacrifice, worship to other gods. The word there is Elohim. It's the same word that, that is used for the, the sons of Elohim that were supposed to be delegated to responsibility of these nations, but the peoples, instead of following the true God, They have sought substitutes for him. They have devoted themselves to these other Elohim, which in the end, Deuteronomy 32.17 says, in reality, are demons. They're not real gods. They're not deities. But they are very real spiritual beings. You'll see that in Deuteronomy 32. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians 10. If you've got questions about that, see me afterwards. Go back to listen to some of the previous lessons. There are demon realities behind what we offer ourselves to even when we think that it is something benign. Now what does all that have to do with this? The nations as a whole have given themselves over to the dark powers. That seems to be the message of Deuteronomy 32. So why is Jesus picking 70 or 72 to send out here? Could it be that he is trying to match that number symbolically? Trying to symbolically match that number to say this mission is about reclaiming the nations for God. This mission is about showing the world that even though they are in darkness now, they don't have to remain in darkness. Now look at what this mission is going to be. What are they going to say as they go out? Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We saw it in Luke 9. We're seeing it in Luke 10. Taking on the powers of darkness involves declaring the kingdom of God. That is a power term. You think of someone who is a king, especially in the culture of the ancient world, you're thinking of someone with power. You're thinking of someone with authority. You're thinking of someone who you cannot stand up to. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message at the heart of Jesus on preaching. And now it's at the the heart of, of all of his disciples that he is sending them out. And look what they say when they come back from this mission. They return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Not just subject to us. It's not that they have the power to do this, but they are subject to us in your name. In your name is power. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, this is where I get excited when I read a text like this. This is, this is real spiritual warfare language that's going on here. Jesus is not just talking about... Some people read a text like that, they pull it out of context, and they say, well, there you go. Satan fell from heaven a long time ago whenever he rebelled. That's not the context here. Jesus is saying, because I have sent you out symbolically as representative of the nations of the whole world, even though you're not going into the whole world yet... We are demonstrating something that the world is going to be reclaimed. At least people will have the opportunity to have release from their captivity because I am sending you out and you will have power and authority in my name even over demons who you otherwise would have no chance against. And Jesus says as those demons, it's almost like it's happening simultaneously, as the demons are subject to, to Jesus' name, as they are leaving people who they have possessed and, and they're, they are frustrated because they are being cast out, Jesus is saying I'm seeing Satan fall, fall like lightning from the spirit, in the spiritual realm. We're in the spiritual realm, I think that's why he says heaven here. From the perspective of the spiritual realm, we are watching the tide turn in the spiritual war. Satan's now losing. And he's not going to like it as we're going to follow through the rest of this. But this is a huge moment as a turning point. And, and not only this, look at what Jesus follows up this with, with it, this teaching with. Behold, I've given you authority. There it is again power, kingdom, to tread on serpents. What do you think of when you think of serpent? You think of the Garden of Eden. You think of the serpent, the deceiver, the one who was a liar, a deceiver from the beginning. The one who is trying to trip us up and is using the tools of sin and death to try to bring us into his kingdom where he has us as captives. Jesus is saying, I've given you authority to tread on him instead of him treading on you. Tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's a bigger part of the mission that's going on here. This is not just a, a one angle of triumph that you are going to see here. There's, there's something huge that is going on here. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, "...that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children." It's a familial term of intimacy that Jesus often uses for his followers. Those who, are, who, who would come to him. Remember the king of heaven belongs to such as these. You've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father." or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, watch this, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What he's saying here is, there have been a lot of people who have been fighting in this war a long time. And have. There's some prophets who have gotten messages and they've seen some bizarre visions and they've been a part of some weird stuff. And they've seen glimpses of that hope that was to come. But they didn't get to see the fulfillment of it. You who are aligned with Jesus and who are present with Jesus... He's saying you're getting a chance to participate and to witness something that people for a long time have been working towards. Can you imagine fighting in a a battle of a major war? You know, you're in World War II, maybe it's the D-Day invasion, and you know that could be the turning point of the war, but you you end up dying in that invasion, you know, on the beaches of Normandy. You're one of the, the few, the, one of the many that fell there and was not able to live to see the end of the war. Jesus is saying, you're getting a chance here to see something that others have fought for, to to witness something that others have longed to see and you're getting a chance to see it. And from this point forward, Jesus' followers are going to be on the winning side of the war. Now as we're going to see at the end of this, this is not declaring in any way Satan falling from from heaven like lightning that the war is over, that we're done with this. That's not it. We are not done with spiritual warfare. There's a lot more that the New Testament has to say about this, beginning with the rest of the ministry of Jesus, including the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then the role that the church is going to play in an ongoing struggle. This is not done, but this is the turning point. This is like D-Day. It's not V-Day. The war, you know, it's, it's not completely over, but this is the turning point. And they're getting to participate in this. Let's go to our last episode. And it's where we began. It's Luke chapter 11. I show you this sequence of three chapters in a row. Because if these things are written in there with so much emphasis on this, back to back to back, that you know this is at the heart of the message that we're supposed to take away from this section of Scripture. We go just a few verses later into Luke 11, and we read this. Now he, being Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. Let's set up the scenario. This is a man who uh, has been possessed by a demon in a way that has inhibited his speech. He's not able to talk. It's one of the many effects that, that both uh, physiological, psychological, behavioral, that demon possession could have on someone. It very much would make them a slave to that demon. But when the demon goes out, radical change has taken place. And every time this happens in the scriptures, people marvel. Uh, They're they're amazed because, again, no one else has been able to do this. No one else has been able to just speak to the demons and speak authority over them. And they are subject to him. He says, get out, and they get out. And there's radical change that takes place whenever it happens. So the people marvel that this man can now speak. But some of them said, here they are trying to come up with some excuse, some reason for what's going on other than what should be reality right in front of their eyes. They don't want to believe it. So let's come up with another story, another narrative here to explain this. Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. You know, he's just—he's really, really just part of the darkness. He's just in touch with the darkness. He knows, he knows how to tap into that power to cast out demons. Now, hopefully, simple logic should tell us that that doesn't make sense. But just in case we don't get that, Jesus is about to explain that while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So again, they're looking for, they're, they're grasping for straws, as we might say at this point, for other explanations. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom, here's that kingdom language again, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by... Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? There were others who attempted exorcisms, whether they were successful or not. He's saying are all of us in line with the enemy? That doesn't even make sense. If we are... Why would we... If demons are aligned with Satan, why would we be in league with Satan by casting out his demons? That doesn't make sense. Now here's what he says as the alternative. If this is not by the power of darkness, then it's by the power of God. But here's the way Jesus puts it, a lot better than I could. Some language that should stir up some reminders for those who are familiar with their Old Testament scriptures. But if... It is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Finger of God. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? When we looked at some of the practices of people who have attempted to to tap into the darkness and we said, well, there are some who are just charlatans. There are some who genuinely believe it but are not able to tap into it. And then there's evidence that maybe sometimes those dark powers are actually tapped into. You read in Exodus and you're going to see that Moses and Pharaoh have a demonstration for, for Pharaoh of throwing down a staff and it turns into a serpent and then there's some magicians who come along and they're able to do something very similar using their dark arts is what the text says. The water is then going to be turned into Blood as a demonstration for Pharaoh, and then the magicians come along and they're able to do something very similar by their dark arts. The frogs come up out of the water onto the land, and then the magicians of Egypt are able to do something very similar with their dark arts. It's only the third plague, the flies, when they realize they cannot duplicate it, they try, they fail. And then they say, This is the finger of God. Now think about that imagery that's that's used there. How powerful is that? I know that this this is just to help us in human terms. But imagine God from the heavens the finger of God is when he reaches down and intervenes personally and touches the events that take place here and changes the course of things in a way that no one else is able to do. Jesus is saying, just like those plagues on Egypt, as a demonstration of God's, not only his power, but his superiority to any powers of darkness. He's saying, I'm doing the same thing right now. Every time a demon is cast out from someone, Satan is falling from heaven like lightning. He is losing. The finger of God is touching the earth. And it's showing you that the God has more power in his finger than in the entirety of, of Satan and all of his demons and their entire arsenal. And he says, when you see this happening, this is showing you everything that we've been preaching about. The kingdom of God is upon you. The rule of God. Don't you love, I love that hymn, Master the Tempest is Raging. You get to the chorus of that. And it's whether the winds or the waves or the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, nothing can stand up to Jesus when he declares all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth he wins that's the message of this the darkness is real but just as the beginning of the gospel of John says when it talks about how Jesus' is light come into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it It didn't master it. Light wins over darkness. And that's when he comes back to what he says here about the strong man. He acknowledges Satan is strong. He doesn't portray him as impotent. He doesn't portray evil as just an illusion, as something that's really not that big a deal. The Bible doesn't treat evil that way. It treats it as something that is very much a big deal, something that is strong. But it is not the strongest power. Because we have a God who has come as one of us, but with the power of God, bringing the finger of God with him to bind the strong man that no one else has the ability to take down. And we who are the hostages in that house, that fortress, with no other way out, we thank God that he came to get us out. That's the message of Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. You have an alternative and that's his last statement here. Do you want to be with me or do you, do you want to be where you're already at? Do you want to stay in the strong man's house? Do you want to stay a hostage? How's that going for you? You can come with me. I'll bring you out. I'll bring you into the most powerful kingdom that there ever will be. One which will never be destroyed. But you better own it. You better own me as your Lord. You better not be trying to walk back and forth between which kingdom you're ultimately a part of. If you're going to be translated, transferred into the kingdom of light, the sharing with the saints in that, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then own it and live like you're part of that kingdom every day. Do you want to win? You better be in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you thank you for your power. Thank you for your overcoming of this strong man who has had us bound. We don't have to be directly possessed by a demon to know to know the power that Satan has held over each of us when he works on us with sin and with, with the fear of death and with his other tools of, of slandering us and accusing us all his schemes that we read of in the scriptures, lying to us, deceiving us, belittling us. Father, thank you for the truth and for the truth that can set us free. Thank you for Jesus giving us an alternative to the kingdom of Satan. We want to be part of his kingdom. We want to be in him and we want to be fighting alongside of him. Give us that resolve today. In the name of Jesus, the same name to whom even the demons are subject. In that name we dare to pray. Amen. Today, if you are not in Jesus, I hope that you've seen that there's really only two places you are. You're either a hostage being held by that strong man in a place where you are not going to be able to fight your way out of yourself. Or you are someone who has let the King of Kings and Lord of Lords overcome that strong man and has willfully reached out your hand to take his to bring you out and to bring you into his care. Today, if you have any questions about if you've actually done that, if you've actually submitted to the rule of Jesus Christ as your Lord. Not only the Lord of of heaven and on earth, but you personally, your Lord, confessing him as Lord. If you need to do that today, and everything else that the Bible talks about of that response, that confession of Lord is not just making a statement. It's about making a commitment it, the commitment is, is an, another word for repentance. It's saying, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I am changing direction. I'm following him. It, it is making that confession, but committing to that truly in your heart. And all of that comes together when we're baptized into Christ. We haven't fully made that commitment until we are baptized into him. We go from the dominion of Satan into the dominion of Christ when we are baptized into him by faith in the working of God. We're part of his kingdom, his people. If any of that, if you have questions about any of that in your life today or want us to pray about anything else on your behalf, please come as together we stand and as we see.